in the Bible. In fact, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark chapter, Gospel of Mark chapter 7. We are, uh, we are in the, the Gospel of Mark, have been for some, some months, and we're going to be going forward. <clears throat> but it, it's, again, so many of these are the stories of people's lives. There's a story of a woman and her daughter and Jesus that we're going to look at here in a few moments. But before we do that, I have a couple of questions for you. First question is quite simply this. I want you to ponder this. Ask it of yourself and then hopefully answer it as much as you can. When you're in a desperate place or you're facing some overwhelming time, and you cry out to God for help, and the help doesn't come in the way or in the time you want, how do you respond? Again, when you're in a desperate place, you're facing an overwhelming time, and you cry out to God for help, he's, he's one of the first, if not the first person you cry out to. But it doesn't come, the answer doesn't come in the way or in the time that you'd like. How do you respond? Or, or how about this one, a, a slight variation on the same question. What happens when you pray for something and then another person prays for the same thing and the answer comes to them but it hasn't yet come to you? How do you respond? Lord, I need that new job. <laughs> and somebody else gets it. I need this opportunity to work out. And somebody else gets the opportunity. Lord Jesus, I, I have this disease and I need healing. And it doesn't come, but it comes to someone else. When we cry out to God... In, in desperation, in need, in great, deep need, and it doesn't come in the way or in the time that we'd like. How do you respond? Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 26, read this way. It says this, and, and from there Jesus arose and he went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know that he was there, yet he could not be hidden. What a statement. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter. We've prayed already today, but let's pray again. Lord Jesus, there are people here today who are wondering why things are the way they are. Some here this morning are wondering how and when the answer will come. Would you speak to them? Would you speak to all of us today from your word here. In Jesus' name, amen. It says here that Jesus was in a 
It was in a place called Tyre. Uh, it was, by explanation, it was a, a non-Jewish or a Gentile, that's the word for non-Jewish, a Gentile community. It was far north of where Jesus and most of the disciples were from. Uh, it was outside of Jewish territory. It, 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 it appears that Jesus was there to rest and to, to, uh, to get away, uh, to recover, if you will, from the almost constant demands. Some people have a hard time understanding that, but you understand that though Jesus was God, he had also, it says in the book of Philippians, he had emptied himself and, and he had taken on the appearance, the, the, the flesh of a man, and, and, and it was hard, it was, it was, it was, it was difficult. And, and so just looking at the greater context of the scripture here, it seems like Jesus was getting away to, uh, to, to rest and to recover. He, did, he encouraged that to his disciples, and it appears that he was taking one of those occasions himself. He was staying in someone's home, it says, a, and, and when he was doing that, it says a woman, her name is never given, simply she's referred to as the Syrophoenician, that's a big word, it would have been better if it would have been called her Betty, but, but, uh, but, but, but this woman, Syrophoenician woman, someday we'll perhaps know her name, comes up to Jesus, approaches Jesus, she falls at his feet, it says, and she presented her need. Now, from the text, there are three things that we know about this woman. First of all, she was a Gentile. Again, uh, she was not ethnically Jewish. And, and by the way, as you'll see that in a moment, that, that was very significant. The second thing about her is that she was a mother. Uh, she was the mother of at least one child, uh, a little girl. But the thing about this little girl is this little girl was possessed of a demon. A, 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 a spirit, and we don't know how, we don't know why, we don't know the background, we only know that it was. We don't know what happened to the girl, what, how it was manifest, we just don't know, but we know that she was possessed of a demon. She was a mother who loves her little girl very, very much. The third thing we know about her is that she was extremely persistent. And we know this, uh, she apparently had heard about Jesus. Uh, Jesus has been ministering at this point, publicly ministering, for about two years. Uh, he has worked all kinds of miracles. He has delivered all kinds of people, and apparently she knew something about him, even though this was outside Jewish territory, even though it was outside the region that was very, very familiar to the disciples and to many Jews. Um, uh, she had heard about his ability to heal anyone and to deliver them from anything. We know she was persistent because verse 26 says she begged Jesus for help. But here's the interesting thing about that. The Greek verb that is used here for begged can be literally translated she kept on begging. In fact, some of your translations may say something to that effect. She, she not only begged, it wasn't a one-time thing, I'm asking you to do this. It was, I'm asking you to do this. And then she would, she would come up a few minutes later, I'm asking you to, and maybe it, they went to another room or step outside for a little bit. I'm asking you to do this. She's begging, pleading, maybe going in multiple places. It says here, literally, she kept on begging. She was extremely, extremely persistent. But put yourself in her position for a moment. Wouldn't you beg? Come on, wouldn't you beg? I mean, if this were your child, if this were your little girl or your little boy, or if this were your not-so-little girl or not-so-little boy, if this were a loved one, 
who was in a hopeless condition, and the person in front of you had the cure, it, it would be like this. It would, it would be comparable to somebody who's dying, somebody who's hopeless, and the person in front of you has this prescription that only they have, and you know that just one dosage of that prescription will heal, deliver that person. Wouldn't you beg? Of course you would beg. And this woman who knows perhaps very little about Jesus other than the fact that she, he, he had, she knew that he had healed and delivered others is before her. And so she's begging. And she keeps on begging. Now, at, to this point in the story, it's not hard to get or to relate to this, this woman and, and, and her story. I mean, I, mean, I totally, I mean, I'm a father, right? Uh, uh, I have loved ones who've gone, and I totally get the story up to this point, but Jesus' response we probably don't get so easily. Look at the next verse. Verse 27 reads this way. Jesus said, now he's replying to her. She's begging. He said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Stop there. It's brief. Jesus said, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, now, just help me out with this. Do, do Jesus' words seem just a little bit shocking to you? I mean, from our standpoint, at first glance, I, I, I read this story or I listen to this story, and by the way, whenever I, whenever I, I probably have read this in the last couple of weeks, maybe... 50 or 60 times. Just, just go through it again and again and again. And, 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 and every time, it's just, it's just a little bit shocking. Let me explain it this way. If you call someone your child, that's generally a good thing. Right? You know you're like a child to me. Man, that's, that makes you feel pretty good. Somebody, somebody said that to me once. They said, you know, you're like a child to me. I said, can I have the car keys? <laughs> Am I in the will? <laughs> but that's a good thing, isn't it? If somebody, you're like a child to them, that, that's a good thing. You call someone your child. Not childish, but if you call them a child, that's a, that's a good thing. But if you call someone a dog, that's not so good, is it? Jesus makes this statement, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, we understand that Jesus is speaking in, in metaphor. He's making this, this kind of a word picture comparison. When he said children, he was referring to the Jewish people. Remember I mentioned that he's in a non-Jewish area. When he, says, when, he, when he says children, he's referring to the Jewish people. They were the first persons, they were the the first people's group, the first, the first ethnicity, if you will. They were the first ones to receive the message and the miracles of Jesus. And by the way, that had been going on for the, the plan, God's plan for his people began about 2,000 years before this time with the man and the woman, Abraham and Sarah, and, and, and their descendants who were the Jewish people. So God's plan had been largely carried out through the Jewish people now for 2,000 years. And he was continuing to work first through them. When he used the word dogs, he referred to people who were not Jewish. He was referring to people who were Gentile. 
But again, when you go a little bit deeper into the text here, and when you first read it, you go, wow, that just, he's calling one group of people children, and he's calling another group of people, particularly this woman, and maybe all of her Syrophoenician neighbors, of Tyre and Sidon, he's calling them dogs. That's, that's the first glance at this. But when you go deeper into the, the text here, when you go deeper into the text, uh, he, 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 he uses some, some words. The, the word Jesus used for dogs was not, was not the scavenging dogs that, that you would see in a lot of communities, particularly at that time. It wasn't the scavenging dogs outside who, who, if you didn't watch your meal, would come in, snatch it, and run away. It wasn't the dogs that ran in a pack. Rather, the word that Jesus used was what we call a diminutive form of the word that can actually be translated puppies. Jesus was saying here that he's, he's referring in a, in, a, in a very kind way. And he said that the food was first for the children and then for the puppies, the dogs, the household dogs who are under the table. Uh, my, uh, my wife and I, we have... Uh, a little dog. Uh, we call her. We call her Shadow. I think we have a picture of her. There she is. Isn't she cute? We call her Shadow. Uh, we we got her years ago. I don't know, ten, eleven years ago. We got her for our children. Uh, we wanted our kids to have a dog. Well, our 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 kids are our kids are all grown up now. So if you'd like a dog, you see me after the service and. <clears throat> My wife will be standing right next to me, shooing you away. But uh, name is her name is Shadow. She's she's a pretty obedient dog. Uh, she sits under the table during the meal. Now it's just my wife and I. She tends to sit under my wife's chair. She seldom asks for anything during the meal. But when the dishes are being cleared, it's interesting when the dishes, she, she's smart or she's got good ears. Dogs do that. They have good noses. And, and, and when the dishes are being cleared, she is staring you down, man. She is staring. That, that look right there. I think I have a pork chop in my hand right there. She's staring you down, hoping for a bone. But you see, there's an order, isn't there? When we sit down, we don't say, oh, here's a pork chop with all the meat on it. We throw it to her. We don't do that. We we eat it, and then she gets the bone. There's a certain order. This woman, her need was very, very real. Jesus was not dismissing the need. Jesus was not being flippant with the need. It was an urgent need. This little girl, this woman, this, this grieving mother is, is beside herself, and she's begging Jesus. And, and this little girl, though she's not here, she's some distance off, is still, she's being tormented by this demon. This is a very real need. And yet Jesus put her off. Jesus put her off momentarily, but he, he put her off, telling her that others would receive first. He didn't say that she wouldn't receive. He simply said others are there's an order others are to receive first. Why would he do this? I believe in large part it was a test of this woman's faith. That it was a test of this woman's faith to see just how far she would trust him. She's going from place to place perhaps and room to room, I don't know, but she keeps, she keeps on, it says, begging him. 
But he puts her off slightly, I believe, to test her faith, to see just how far she would trust him. I, 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 somebody, somebody once said about this, I heard that if we could hear this, if we could hear Jesus' words or we could see his face as it was being said, that there was a, a smile on his face and a twinkle in his eye as he said, we first give food to the children and then to the dogs under the table. And there's, there's something that obviously is law, but I believe Jesus had a, a purpose. He, it's not that he didn't care, but Jesus was seeing how, how far would she go. But I, I want you to notice, please, I want you to notice in the text, and maybe it's before you, I want you to notice how she did not respond. Before we look at how she responded, I want you to notice how she did not respond she did not respond with anger. She, she did not say something, something like this. How dare you call me a dog? Jesus said, you know, first we feed the children and then, and, then, and then we feed the dogs. How dare you call me a dog? She didn't say that. How dare you call me a dog? She could have said, I'm as good as anyone else. I don't need you. And then stormed out. Had she responded in that way, had she stormed out, had she become offended and left, then the story would have ended very differently. In fact, the story would not be recorded in Mark chapter 7. But she didn't respond that way. And also, I point out what is not there, neither did she respond with self-condemnation. Jesus makes this comment, slightly puts her off. She didn't respond with self-condemnation like, you know, you're right, Jesus, I am worthless. You know, you're right. Why would you care about me or my hopeless daughter? Why would you care about me? We're not even your people. Why would you care about me? I don't deserve anything you give me. And she walked away. If she would have done that, again, the story would have ended differently in her story that story would not have been recorded in Scripture. Instead, with, with both boldness and respect, she turned the metaphor back to Jesus. And she said this, verse 28, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Yes, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Her, her response, this woman's response is remarkable. She, she, she agreed that she was, not, she was not first in line. She was not first in line for Jesus' help. She acknowledges that. Yeah, I understand. I'm not Jewish. I understand that you're a, a Jewish rabbi and that all of your followers are, are Jewish people. I get that. I understand that I'm not first in line but she basically says, yes, but sometimes things fall off the table and, and, that, and that feeds them. <laughs> she's, she's essentially saying this, I understand I'm not first in line, but there's still enough for me. This woman's response there in verse 28, I mean, this, this is a faithful, a full of faith 
response. It's remarkable. This, this amazing woman came to Jesus, not trusting, listen to this carefully, she came not trusting in her good standing. She knew that she wasn't Jewish. She knew that she wasn't among Jesus' people. She knew that he's from another area. She understands this. She did not come to Jesus in her own good standing. She came to Jesus trusting in his grace. Now that's very important. Not trusting in her good standing, but trusting in his grace. She came to him not on her own merit, the things that she'd done. She mentions none of that. She didn't tell him about her standing in that community. She didn't tell him how though she may not be a Jew, she's obeyed the Lord. She didn't do any of that. She came to him not in her own merit, but she came to him believing in his mercy. Here's the thing. See, we know the rest of the story. She did not. This is about a year before Jesus would surrender his life on the cross, be crucified for our sins, be raised from the dead and go to heaven. Ascend into heaven. She didn't understand just how much grace this one had. The most familiar verse in the Bible, probably, as certainly in our culture, is John 3.16. It's an interesting wording, and you know it, perhaps even memorized it, where it doesn't designate certain people's groups. In fact, it said, for God so loved the world, that's all-inclusive. God so loved the world, that means every people's group, that means every ethnicity, that means every language. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that, great old King James, or whosoever, it means whoever, it means whoever believes in him will have eternal life. She had no idea that he had grace that was absolutely limitless. She didn't know, she only knew him as a, a great teacher or a miracle worker. She didn't know he was God. She had no idea how much grace he had. He wasn't, he wasn't like, I'm, you know, I'm all out. He didn't say that. Because he wasn't all out. He had grace sufficient for the whole world. This one who stood before her or who sat before her. She had no idea how much grace he actually had. After verse 28, after verse 28, she could have walked away. Again, she could have given into anger. She could have given into self, self-pity. Either, and she could have left either angry or embarrassed or both. But she didn't. She pressed through. She kept on trusting. And in verse 29, it tells us this. Jesus then said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. The little girl wasn't there. The little girl was some distance off. But he said to her, the demon has left your daughter. And the story ends very, very well. Verse 30, and she, the mother, went home and found her child lying in bed and a demon gone. Glory to God. There was more than enough power. There always was. Jesus had delivered from a distance. He still can. And a mother... And a daughter 
probably a family, maybe an entire community, were transformed. And everyone who's read that story since then, this true story, has also been ministered to. But again, I ask now, stepping away from the story, I'm bringing it now to you, I ask this question. How do you respond? When you suddenly find yourself in a desperate place, a hard place, a hopeless place, and you get the answer you don't want, when you cry out to him and say, Lord, I need your help, and it doesn't come in the way or in the time that you'd like, what do you do? When you cry out to him and all you hear is no or wait or you hear silence. Some people have become angry when Jesus does not come through in the way that they want. There are some people who You've perhaps seen some, I certainly have, who have turned their fists to him. They've hardened their hearts at him. They've even turned their backs against him. I know of a missionary some years ago um, serving in Africa. Lost his young wife. They had just been there for a short time. They'd been married just a short time. Had a little girl, and they lost their, uh, he lost his young wife, the mother of his daughter, to a uh, tropical infection. For almost the rest of his life, he railed against the perceived cruelty of a God he no longer believed in. And that sounds kind of strange, but he. For almost the rest of his, up until almost the very end of his life, he railed against, was embittered against a God he claimed he no longer believed in. There are times when God does not come through in the way or in the time that we would like. And oftentimes, people become very angry at God. They project their anger sometimes onto Christians. I have seen that. When when somebody says, you know, I I, I hate Christians, there's a good chance that they're really not angry at Christians, but they're angry at God. Or they're angry at the church. I've heard that one a lot too. Oh, I mean, just... but, But really, if you were to peel away the layers... They're not so much angry at Christians or the church or religion is how it's often. They're often angry at God. They, they, they externalize it. I've also seen, and perhaps you have as well, people who turn their pain or their lack of answers inward. God doesn't answer in the way or in the time method that they would prefer and it turns inward they say or they think things like you know i'm 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 paying the price this i know why this is happening or i know why the answer hasn't come i'm paying the price for all the bad things i've done 
I might be striking close to home for some of you, but I've heard that many, 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 many times. Or it's too late for me. It, I, I've done it too long. It's, it's, it's too bad. It's, it's, and they turn it inward. How many people, perhaps people you've known, perhaps even yourself, have said or wondered, I think God must hate me. I think God hates me. I think God doesn't really care ab- about me. And they, they, they turn it inward. As we walk with Christ, and by the way, I have to say this, if you're not walking with Christ, there is no hope. Amen. And, and, and you're right to say amen, not because we're rejoicing over that fact, but we're saying that's sadly true. If you're not walking with Christ, you have no hope. If your life has not been surrendered to Jesus Christ, you're hopeless. There is no other way. There are a lot of belief systems. There are a lot of people and programs that promise hope, but only Jesus gives us hope. There is no other way. So you have to understand, everything that I'm sharing this morning is qualified within if you're following Jesus. Because if you're not following Him, there is no hope. I don't say that to condemn. I I make it as an appeal. This morning, if if you're outside of Jesus Christ, start following Him today. It's very... It's very simple. He he did all the work on the cross. He died on the cross so that all we do is receive his gift and say, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose from the dead for me. I want to follow you. So help me follow you. I want to be one of yours. That simple prayer suddenly births in us, births in us hope. So that being understood as we walk with Christ, if that decision has been made, if that confession and that profession of faith has been made, even then as we walk with Christ, as we are in relationship with Him, there will be things that happen and we won't understand why. I would love to be able to stand here this morning and tell you, begin following Jesus and every question that you have ever had will be answered. I would love to tell you this morning that as you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and you begin to walk with him, then you will no longer wonder about why things happen to you. The fact is, hard fact is, that there will still be things that happened to us as we walk with him and we're wondering, God, why? There are answers that we will receive from him that we don't want to hear. God, I want to do this. No. 
God, why did this happen? Silence. God, when is this going to end? Not yet. I don't want that answer. I want two more months and done. I can make it two more months. <laughs> when is this going to be healed? Tomorrow at noon. Great. I think, give me some Tylenol. I'll make it till then. Why did he die? Why did she die? We don't find out until we get to heaven. There, there, are, there are questions that are big that we aren't always going to get satisfactory answers. But I know this, that while we cannot always know Jesus' greater plan, and I know that while we will often not like his timing, I know this, I know this, I know this, I know this, because I've lived it. I know this, that we can still place our trust in Him. That I don't understand why sometimes, and I don't understand when sometimes. I don't understand, but I don't know when, and I don't know why. But I know who. And I don't understand when, but I understand that He still has a plan for me. I don't know what it is, and it may not be the plan that I'd like or the plan that I would choose for myself, but I know that I'm still in his plan, that in some way, in some time, his will is being accomplished in my life. This this book is filled with people who gave their lives for Jesus, the cause of the gospel. This book records people whose personal dreams were unfulfilled and who were in the very center of God's plan. This book contains the stories of people who said why and they didn't get an answer. But this book is filled with people who trusted God in spite of that non-answer. We know don't always understand why or when, but I can trust in the who. And I choose to trust in Him. Well, the answer may come very, very quickly. But I'm still going to trust in Him. I'm still going to trust in Him. This morning, I want to pray with you. I started this message with a question of does this apply have you ever have you ever wondered I asked that now I want to pray for you for there are some here who are there right now or who will be soon there are people right now who even in the last few days in the last week or two have said God when God why God where And I want to pray for you this morning. In a few moments, our musicians are going to come and uh, just hold for just a moment. But in a moment, they're going to come. 
but I want to pray for you. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for saying and doing what you did all those years ago to a woman whose name we do not yet know, but someday we will. But this morning I pray, Lord Jesus, for those persons who have more questions than answers. I pray that even in the absence of your voice or in the absence of the answer they want to receive, that even in the absence of those things they will still trust your heart. I pray this, we pray this, and we trust in your name, Jesus. Amen. We sang a song earlier, it's called Healer. This woman was not so much um, having a need for healing as much as deliverance, but I want us to sing this song again. Our worship team is going to lead us in this. hold my every moment. It says you calm my raging seas. You walk with me through life and you heal all my disease. Um, the timing is what we sometimes wonder about that and yet it's all true. He does walk with us. In time he will heal all of our disease, deliver us from every kind of difficulty. We call that heaven but in the meantime he still ministers to us. And there are times when we have to trust Him, not times. We always have to trust in Him, regardless of what the answer is. I'd like you to stand, would you? In a moment, we're going to open up these altars. Go ahead and stand. We're going to open up these altars in just a few moments, though, for to, get, to give you an opportunity to perhaps just spend some additional time seeking the Lord. Maybe some other things that you need to do, and you certainly are free to go. You're certainly free to make your way out of this place as soon as we're done singing this but but these altars are going to be open i would like to invite you to come forward if this morning particularly you this morning and i and i really mean this if this morning you've been really wrestling with some of these questions of why and when and where um and maybe you even maybe you have or you haven't but maybe maybe you feel just a little bit like your faith in him starting to erode because of these questions I want you to come this message has been for you particularly and I want you just to come around these altars and just spend some additional time with the Lord uh, that's more important really than anything that could else that could happen this day I, I'm very convinced of that so I want you to come and just just in a moment here um, uh, after we sing it through once I want you to go ahead and step forward and um, and, and, and just spend some time with the Lord uh, seeking him you can kneel at these altars at uh, one of these front pews, but I, I want you to make the effort to step forward, and uh, I believe based upon that faith, kind of like this woman who who uh, pressed through and was persistent and said, "I'm I'm going to I'm going to go to Him." I want you to do the same this morning, and I believe that the Lord, who uh, ministered to a woman back then, and every person who's read that story since then, is going to minister to you today, as you and your persistence also seek Him in spite of the answer that you may not like um, to trust him. Let's sing this together and then uh, and then we'll, we'll we'll step forward. Let's sing it together. You hold my hand.
my portion for today and tomorrow, but you are all that I need. God, I need you more than I need the right answer. I need you more than, than I, I, I want in my time frame. I need you. I need you more than I, I have to have an understanding. I need you more than all of my questions answered. I need you. So, Lord, as people gather around these altars, throughout this week, this coming week, Lord, as people go and they find themselves in those, those, those times where there are more questions than there are answers, I pray that your spirit would rise up within them and say, I, I don't understand everything, but I know this, Jesus is my Lord. I'm going to keep trusting in him. Lord, I pray that for every brother and sister here today. I also pray, Lord, if there is any person who even in this moment would surrender their life to you, asking you to come in and become the Lord of their life, Lord, that you would do it. I know that you will, Lord. You came to the cross to make that possible. Of course you'll do that. You're just waiting for them to invite you to come in. So, Lord, as even as that happens in these moments. So, Lord, as we go our way, as we gather around these altars, as we commune with each other, but more important, as we commune with you, Lord, may we go with the power and the strength of your Holy Spirit. May we go with the authority of your word, and may we go, Lord, trusting that you are our Lord and our Savior. In spite of what comes, Lord, our trust is in you. We thank you and we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. These altars are open. Worship team, continue to lead.